0: Good morning and good afternoon, everyone. My name is Steve Wu. Welcome to our December meetup, which is our annual holiday fun event. I'm a shareholder at Silicon Valley Law Group in San Jose, California. This is a meetup of members of the Santa Clara County Bar Association High Technology Law Section and various committees of the American Bar Association Section of Science and Technology Law, specifically the Artificial Intelligence and Robotics Committee, the Big Data Committee, and the Information Security Committee. Normally, we have programming on topics of interest to those topic areas in, in legal subjects, but every year since we've founded this group, we have had a holiday fun event just to have something different around the holidays, understanding that people may not be tuning in during this month because of business, busyness about the holidays. And so we're just so delighted to have Josh Gilliland give our fourth annual program, Uh, this year. He is uh, a blogger who has a blog called The Legal Geeks. It was recognized by the American Bar Association Journal as one of the top 100 blogs in the United States. So this is uh, a tradition where we will have a celebration of the holiday season and we will listen to some holiday topics today as, as, as a subject matter for our event. But just so you know, in general, we do have topics relating to artificial intelligence robotics, big data, and information security on this meetup. And we will, again, have a program on January 24th, 2018, in the new year, where we will be uh, having a program uh, with Bruce Niron, CPA, of SOC 1 and SOC 2 Quality PLLC, and Denise Applebaum, MBA, PhD, who is an assistant professor of accounting and finance at Montclair State University. So please, mark your calendars for January 24th, 2018. And before we start, and I turn it over to Josh, we, I do want to let people know that this program is being recorded, as is all of our meetups. So keep that in mind when you are asking questions. And please also do not put us on hold, because if you do, we may hear all of your hold music, and we don't want to have that happen. So um, with that, I, I, I will begin by saying, first of all, happy holidays to everybody. It's a wonderful holiday season. I think we've seen a lot of very interesting things in artificial intelligence, robotics, big data, and the Internet of Things this year. I do, And people are starting to talk about AI, it, this being the year of AI. I think next year is going to be even more so the year of artificial intelligence. So this is going to be a fantastic programming year. And just looking forward to 2018. When we have more programming in this area, we've got some really interesting programs coming up. In February, we will have a regional general counsel, Microsoft, to uh, talk about um, the use of artificial intelligence in the legal profession. So uh, we've got quite a bit of program, interesting programming coming up. In March, um, we will be having something, somebody from the Chertoff group who's going to be talking about the Safety Act and artificial intelligence technologies that might be uh, something that can uh, get certification under the Safety Act, which allows for certain liability protections um, for anti-terrorism technologies. So we've got quite a few interesting programs coming up. But with that, we do have our holiday coming up. So um, wishing everybody happy holidays this year. And I will now turn over to Josh, and we're going to have a very interesting program on holiday topics. Um, so Josh, thank you so much for joining our program today. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure to be
1: here. And for everyone who's joined us, uh, I started The Legal Geeks with my blogging partner, Jessica Meterson back in 2012, because we're both lawyers and we watch TV shows and analyze the legal issues that come up with like, hey, what would that actually result in if this started a lawsuit? Could they do that? Is it legal? And I took time to watch a variety of different holiday movies and specials going, whoa, These are really out there when you think about the law that's involved or uh, other legal issues or the fact that these could be children's programs. And wait a minute, what kind of message does that send to kids when watching these uh, holiday specials that go back over 50 years? So that was the genesis of O Come All Ye Lawyers, which has been uh, many of these issues have been spotlighted on the legal geeks and different blog posts. And it's a, a best of the many legal issues that
0: that I've noticed. I am going to interrupt one more time and say, if you um, want to know an example of this, it, it has been published in various places where Josh is talking about in the Star Wars movie whether um, uh, it was acceptable for uh, uh, Han Solo, Han to, Solo shoot, to shoot Greedo first. Yes. first, yeah. So um, that that you'll you'll see examples of that. So. Um, He's, he's very famous, and, and that's been republished several times.
1: We were covered in Vulture uh, magazine, or their online component, and they republished that, and that might be my uh, main contribution to the practice of law, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> so let's take a look at some of the, the issues from big holiday stories. And the first that, that I jumped into was Santa Claus and the Invasion of Privacy. Because when you think about the song, he sees you when you, you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. And he he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. When you think about that, Santa's a lot like the NSA, except he gives gifts. And we can think- I can interrupt,
0: uh, interrupt for a second, which is that um, everybody may have seen the, the Liam Neeson movie, Taken, there is a YouTube video out there well Liam Neeson has this very famous dialogue where he he's threatening the person who's kidnapped his daughter over the telephone and uh, he he's, sounds very ominous there is a YouTube video where Liam Neeson is applying to be a mall Santa Claus <laughs> 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 and you and it, it's very much in the nature of what you're talking about
1: so this is this is fun so we put together what jury instructions would look like if somebody sued Santa Claus for invasion of privacy. So under the California Constitution, we have the right to privacy in the state. So that's the basis from from what somebody could sue Santa for if Santa was real and was able to see people at all times and all actions that they were engaged in. So the jury instructions, one, that John had a reasonable expectation of privacy when he's at home sleeping in bed and that Santa intentionally intruded upon uh, John Doe's protected activity by watching John Doe 24 hours a day since John's birth. That Santa Claus's intrusion would be highly offensive to a reasonable person because, let's think about that, that would be super creepy. Uh, That John would be harmed because, hey, if you know you're always being watched by someone, that is disturbing. That Santa Claus's conduct in his... Voyeurism from the North Pole would be a substantial factor in causing John's harm. And when you think about uh, you know, the, the rest of the jury instructions and deciding whether John had a reasonable expectation of privacy while he's at home sleeping, you should consider the identity of Santa Claus and the extent to which persons had access to John Doe's bedroom while John was asleep is not something anyone normally would have. So when you look at this, these issues just with Santa. And the way that the story goes, that's a little out there. And we put together what, what the jury instructions would look like if somebody were to sue. Uh, continuing with the, the instructions, think about the in, uh, extent of the intrusion and the motives and goals. These, the mo- Santa's motives are to ensure good behavior, uh, that cookies would be left out in reward, return for good behavior in order to get gifts, and the setting in which Santa's intrusion took place, which, think about it, what you do in your daily conduct, and then sleeping at night. We then get into issues of negligent infliction of emotional distress, uh, whether or not Santa's negligence caused emotional distress if somebody was, say, put on the naughty list, and if there's any result in physical harm, because someone could get a little neurotic if they're always being watched, and they know that they're always being watched, and would that cause a reasonable person emotional distress? So you can reach your own conclusions on what, what closing argument would look like in a case like this. Uh, we actually did a mock depot of a uh, mock, excuse me, a mock client meeting with a Santa Claus that's on our <laughs> YouTube channel. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but the other part of this with Santa is think about the social contract of leaving out milk, milk and cookies.
0: But before we leave that, uh, I mean, yeah. is it highly offensive if you get gifts in exchange for that surveillance?
1: I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's, it's, again, it's the way the story goes. It's to ensure good conduct from folks and, With a reward for
0: defense, based on it, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Also, you get into issues of like, hey, is Santa Claus trespassing when he comes into homes to leave gifts? And you could say, well, milk and cookies are left out. That's part of the social contract to invite Santa to come into your house, and we'll end with that issue as well. But in theory, consent is a defense. Consent is a defense that he's an invitee. This is implied consent. Exactly, because milk and cookies are there. Now, one of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart came home from World War II. He felt he had lost his acting abilities, and this was the first movie he did, and he got nominated for an Oscar for it because it's a feel-good film. It's a truly inspirational story of the common man.
0: Holiday classic for sure.
1: Definitely. And if you're in the Bay Area, the Stanford Theater has done Christmas Eve showings of it, which are always neat to go see. But let's talk about some of the legal issues in it because there are a couple that creep up. First off, we have uh, Zulu's uh, teacher. In a public school, presumably. Yep, who says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. And does that violate the First Amendment? Because we now have... Establishment clause. Establishment clause, because you have a teacher who's basically, you know, encouraging the belief in uh, a Christian God, (laughs) and that angels are participatory in daily life. Could could you have a public school teacher do that? Which brings us to the Lemon Test, Great. which is whether or not uh, Mrs. Welch has a secular purpose in saying this, whether its primary purpose is to uh, advance a religion, and whether it creates an excessive entanglement with a, a religion. And people could look at this and go like, "Well, she said angel. She didn't like quote the Apostles' Creed. It wasn't like you know a deep dive into uh, any." Form of of Christianity or, or judeoism it was a very you know on its surface kind of vague but it does does have a religious overtone to it yeah. does it have a secular purpose maybe you know if it's if it's broadly based enough that's a it's an interesting question but
0: an angel might have a secular connotation
1: exactly when yeah. I like saying ghost you know yeah. like it doesn't necessarily mean that there is a uh, full-on religious overtone to really. it. But it, it's one of those issues of, like, do you... Do it's you, litigatable. Yeah, definitely could result in a lawsuit. And do you really want teachers saying that sort of thing? Or you just give her a mulligan because it sounds like a sweet story and she's not trying to hurt anybody. So, Entanglement would be minimal. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, like, that sounds really sweet. <laughs> the, the big issue, and, and this has come up, and there was the wonderful Saturday Night Live parody ending with uh, Mr. Potter keeping the $8,000 that uh, Uncle Billy inadvertently gives him, you know, and towards the end of the film that causes George Bailey to go off the deep end and debate suicide. Because if your uncle lost eight grand, that that's a little disturbing. Uh, so Potter keeps the money. At least that's, that's what we're left to believe. Kept the money. So lots of issues open up with that. How does he launder eight grand that he's just got a
0: bank? Yeah,
1: he's got a <laughs> bank, he could just push it in, but you know, like this is still nineteen forty-five. So eight grand, you know, in nineteen forty five. Yeah, that that's a lot. Uh I, I ran the numbers once and uh it, it might be it it's it was significant with what it would be in today's dollars. Did the bank notice? you know, that an extra eight grand was put into his account? Did he just keep it as a slush fund? Well, he,
0: he would have been a controlling person within the bank, and presumably he could tell the people within his, his cronies within the bank to not worry about
1: it. Yeah, it's there, there's a lot of I mean, stress. that's the implication. That's the implication, yeah. but it is grand larceny. Yeah. And, like, he took eight grand that wasn't his, that was mistakenly handed off. Um, it's a wonderful life lesson that you shouldn't go around gloating. Because that's what Uncle Billy did in handing the newspaper that had the eight grand in it. So, this is clearly all on Uncle Billy of
0: not. Think,
1: yeah, he should not have. That's engaged,
0: a 15 year penalty.
1: Yeah, and and it drove his nephew to the brink of suicide. So, like, so many things wrong with it. But Otter kept the eight grand, and that's grand larceny. The other big one, and and Steve pointed
0: this out. Oh, this was this was something we've talked about before in holiday
1: Yeah, because. Mary, after getting married to George, when they realize there's a run on the bank because the Great Depression's kicking in and all these horrible things are happening, she goes in with their money that they're supposed to use on their honeymoon and help.
0: To to do the trip. Yeah. About to go on the trip. They're headed out the the car, you know, out out of town.
1: She uses their honeymoon money to bail out the uh, Bailey building and loan when there's a run on the bank because the Great Depression's beginning. There are problems with this because it shows full-on commingling of assets. Now, one thing that they could have done would be say, like, time out. We got cash here. We just need to execute a note because everyone in the room recognizes that it's George and Mary's money that they're using. So yay for them in recognizing this. But if they had done some promissory note, even if it was on the cocktail napkin, because hey, we're Silicon Valley, we could make that work here. If there was some note that had been executed, that at least would make this look more legal than just doing this on the fly.
0: There's also a danger to George and Mary, which is that their personal assets could be at risk if they commingle their personal assets with the building and loan assets. And people who are creditors of the building and loan could go after George and Mary's personal assets to pay for the debts and liabilities of building a loan
1: which they don't have much but we don't <laughs> want to make the rebel bounce right. <laughs> well let's talk about one that uh has a lot of legal issues in it and that's rudolph the red-nosed reindeer which has oh, some Mark. serious discrimination issues uh in it because there there's a lot of bullying that takes place and this aired in 1964 and it's still cute and adorable, but it's got some some serious darkness to it. So let's let's take a look that we have the reindeer mocking Rudolph. Uh, right at the get-go when Rudolph's introduced. His parents don't disown him, but they're really cruel and saying, No, wear the fake nose because we want you to fit in. And you basically have, you know, his father Donner bullying the son and santa also rejecting the kid you we're know, like on the day that he's born well when the kids start mocking rudolph the coach joins into the mocking so you have state action and with the coach saying we won't let him participate in any reindeer games that is state discrimination at the beginning so there there's it's kind of creepy when you Watch it with like this is really cruel on what they do to him, which brings us to what it does. And like, sure, it's sure the North Pole Santa could be the sovereign, but uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, we
0: kind of the the suspension of disbelief in all these holiday programs is like, for example, in the Star Wars thing, we're we're applying American American law law to to the Star Wars (laughs) universe, (laughs) so there is that.
1: Yeah, because. We have to because we need something. We could we could do straight common law all the way across. Now, California defines bullying as any severe or passive or physical or verbal conduct, and what the reindeer engage in a name calling of Rudolph, uh, including the coach, would definitely qualify as bullying. This is in which code?
0: Education
1: code. Uh, Yeah, California education code. California actually has a lot of neat law on this, which means we're trying to address the problem when it comes up, that if a student is bullied, uh, the principal of that school could actually assign counseling to that student and to the bully to get the bully to change uh, conduct, which is good to see. Uh, As we get, look more at the definition of bullying and the internet's, is unstable, so I apologize for that. Uh, Causing a reasonable pupil to experience a sudden, uh, substantially detrimental effect on their physical or mental health. Rudolph runs away because of the way he's ostracized and the name-calling that he endures, uh, coupled with the fact his parents wanted him to wear a fake nose so he would fit in so they weren't ostracized as well. It's society today like wouldn't tolerate that kind of behavior from parents
0: going like or adults
1: generally yeah yeah it's like i'm sorry you wear glasses you know like we're you're out of the family and it's like that wouldn't happen uh, now glowing nose well like that doesn't happen but uh, it's it's a great lesson in bullying then we get the other issue with the elves you know this elf who you know her me takes the position i'll never fit in and it raises interesting issues of, are the elves indentured servants? He wants to be a dentist, and he's told he can't because <laughs> he's an elf, and elves don't do that. Uh, it's a weird form of discrimination. Or is be- it slavery? Yeah, well, there's, there's that of, are the elves even slaves? Because if they have no free will on what they can do or not do, and if they're dedicated to a life of, of toy making, that's sounding to sound more like slavery when this little guy wants to just be a dentist.
0: Right. and yes, Human rights are being violated.
1: You know, on a huge level. Yeah. Uh, then we get into the the other issue with this want-to-be-dentist that he starts practicing dentistry towards the end. It's like, did he go to med school that we missed? Did he go to have his – is he board certified? Did he get a (laughs) license? So he's then practicing dentistry without a license, let alone any sort of degree. Now, what they do to to the abominable snow monster who's the threat, who apparently is is capturing animals and eating them, and he's terrorizing them uh, across the North Pole – uh, Hermie pulls out all of his teeth. Now, when you think of self-defense... it
0: <laughs> sounds like malpractice.
1: Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's a really twisted view of, of self-defense because there, there are self-defense cases where you can use reasonable force against someone trying to harm you. And if somebody is using lethal force against you, you could use lethal force in return. That, that might not be a proportional response to the force that was being used, uh, because the response was to maim the snow monster and torture them which is just really cruel uh, they don't kill the snow monster but they pull out his teeth which will make eating very difficult for the for the creature so again it could one be of a th-
0: criminal offense grievous bodily injury
1: yeah so it's one of those things that it's like wow this was okay in 1964 for a children's <laughs> show but uh, apparently it was now. The other issue then we have is, can Rudolph sue Santa for nasal discrimination? And this would require showing that Rudolph is a member of a protected class. And in the, the discrimination cases that I looked at, uh, nose color was never anything in there, uh, which, uh, by comparison, eye color wasn't one that you could somebody could sue over if, if somebody was getting fired for having, say, blue eyes. You know, like that wasn't something that was in there because maybe it hasn't happened. Uh, So the issue is, is a red nose just a physical characteristic and not protected, or is Rudolph a member of a protected class? Well, again, let's jump into what jury instructions could look like, that uh, Rudolph was an employee of Santa Claus, that... uh, Was he an
0: employee or... a pet.
1: That's an interesting question, question, but I think because of the tryouts that they were having that he would qualify as an employee... Um, <clears throat> he was subjected to unwanted harassing because of his young age and his bioluminescent nose. Uh, that their har- age
0: is usually an elderly person
1: or older person. Yeah, it's, it flips it this time. The harassing conduct was severe because he was being mocked and ran away because of it. A reasonable reindeer in Rudolph's circumstances would have uh, considered the work environment to be hostile or abusive. And, yeah, if somebody runs away, that sounds like it would be that Rudolph considered the work environment to be hostile and abusive, and he did because he made a break for it, Uh, that Santa, who knows if you've been bad or good, knew or should have known that the conduct of the the elves and the other reindeer and failed to take immediate and appropriate corrective action because, hey, if you know if somebody's been bad or good, you should know this. Rudolph was harmed, and that the harassment was a substantial factor in causing Rudolph harm which brings us to a Christmas carol, which yesterday was the anniversary of the publication of it. Uh, How which, many
0: years?
1: Ago? Uh, it was like the 1840s, 1842 or maybe 48. I, I need to look it up, but it was yesterday was the anniversary. So Bob Cratchit works at Scrooge and Marley and the place is not heated and it's very cold. And Scrooge as an employer would have a duty to ensure that uh, the office is free of hazards. And cold temperatures can create an unsafe work environment. There's actually lots of case law with that of you can't freeze people to death. So rationing the coal completely not okay.
0: So I put together. Oh, it's uh, poke it.
1: Oh yes. <laughs> So I put together what look what could be a a OSHA report on Scrooge and Marley, which which I did have fun putting that together, but you can see that it's uh, uh it would be you know not okay because Cratchit was forced to work in a cell behind a tank with only a single coal for a fire, uh, and Scrooge kept the coal box in his office and refused to provide coal for the fire. That sounds like a pretty clear. Uh, OSHA complaint that
0: would take place. Is that an actual form that you could use to file an OSHA? Complaint?
1: Yep, yep. I, I downloaded it and, and then customized okay. it. <laughs> okay. And I checked the date. That was 1843. It was when it was first published. Okay. Which then brings us to Polar Express, which do those kids understand stranger danger? Now, if you're going to have kids get onto a train in the middle of the night. There really should be a permission slip so that way it's not kidnapping. Uh would parents uh, adequately understand the risk of their kids boarding a magic train going to the North Pole on Christmas Eve
0: without any uh, guardian or parent to give authorization for medical treatment? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, did they even talk about allergies? You know, they're passing out hot cocoa. Do we understand Food that, yeah. Yeah, that maybe somebody's allergic to milk? not discussed at all. And then a covenant not to sue, let alone anything about what kind of uh, uh, form selection clause could be at play. Because if kids are all from the entire planet, that that could get complicated very quickly. Frosty the Snowman. And when I think of Frosty, I wonder, is he protected by the Endangered Species Act? Because he's made of snow and he can melt. Now, the, the ESA defines... Protected species that are endangered or threatened. A species is endangered if it's endangered of its extinction throughout all or a significant portion of its its range. And a species is threatened if it is likely to become an endangered species within the foreseeable future throughout all or a significant portion of its range. Well, the Endangered Species Act wouldn't cover Frosty because he's not an animal, he's not a fish, he's not a mammal. He's snow brought to life by a magic cat. And that's... that's Doesn't the... that beg the
0: question, though? I mean, if it's animated and it moves, what is the definition of life or wildlife?
1: Yeah, uh, <clears throat> not frosty, because the law not contem- does not contemplate snow coming to life. Uh, that's a great issue for Congress to bring up. <laughs> but, uh, or maybe the Secretary of the Interior could get into this as well, but that's, he's not, he wouldn't be covered. And when I first wrote this, the uh, uh, Department of Fish and Game actually responded on Twitter and said he would be unique but but not covered by the ESA. So, <laughs> okay. so um, you have an,
0: an administrative interpretation, which is due some deference, of
1: course. And it, it's nice to see that we do have fi- playful federal agencies. Yes. <laughs> so let's close this out with your duty of care to Santa Claus as an invitee, because if we are leaving out milk and cookies for the big man... You're inviting him into your home, which means what kind of liability could you be incurring by inviting someone into your house at night? So leaving milk and cookies is definitely an invitation. It's part of the social contract that Santa will come into your house and leave gifts because of good behavior. California law says that everyone's responsible uh, for their own willful conduct, but also for any injury to another by their Want of ordinary care or skill in the management of their property. So, if you leave out trip hazards, if you close your fireplace, if you leave a fire roaring, there are all these things that could, you know, endanger and harm Santa Claus uh, by having this out.
0: Also, uh, so is the cookie and milk. Are the cookies and milk an attractive nuisance to Santa Claus?
1: I would say it's an invitation. I wouldn't say it's a an attractive nuisance, but I think it's definitely an invitation to. Santa.
0: So Santa would be an invitee onto the property.
1: Yes. So that means you should maintain your premises in a safe manner. So like don't leave toys out. Don't leave trip hazards out. Um, perhaps you should tape down, yeah, tape down the cords so he won't trip over them. This is a good way to get the kids clean up. Yeah, it yeah. is. Uh, make sure pets are secured because that way Santa's not mauled by the d- a dog or attacked by a cat. And, you know, there's the FAA issue of landing lights to make sure that the house or the apartment complex could be adequately lit for landing of of a sleigh with a tiny reindeer. So, uh, again, lots of fun, because this is, for me, a great way to help people who are not attorneys understand how the law
0: works. But it's a duty of reasonable care. It's not extraordinary care. Exactly. And they're not, he's not, we're not common carriers, so we don't have a heightened duty exactly just invitee status so with that thank you
1: everyone this is this is my creative outlet this is what i do for fun
0: so again i'll just say and i'll close happy holidays everyone i hope you enjoy the season and i wish everybody a happy and prosperous 2018 and thank you so much for attending today